Welcome back to the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast presented by BrotoFantasy.com and the Fantasy Football by Brodo app, the only tool you need to dominate fantasy football. What up, what up, what up? We are back with a new episode of the Dynasty Dawn. I couldn't wait to get on this one for you guys. Talk about all the crazy free agency stuff. I know Tim and Mike covered some of the redraft perspectives and some of the real life football perspectives, but I want to get into the nitty gritty and cover the Dynasty market evaluations, some of these value swaps that these guys are taking, some arbitration moves that you can potentially make to help your Dynasty rosters with these free agent moves. Um, Yeah, lots of news and stuff to get into, so let's hop right into it. I think one of the biggest ones that's going to, you know, the way that I perceive this too, it's definitely one of the bigger signings and and trades, but it also hasn't happened yet. It's the Aaron Rodgers movement, the Aaron Rodgers movement to the Jets. I know the boys are very excited about that one. Trade has yet to be completed. Um, it has not gone through the league offices. The Packers have not accepted anything. The Jets offer is not official. So Aaron Rodgers, as of right now, is still a Green Bay Packer and all the moves that the Jets have made to make him happy as far as his wish list has is concerned may be made for naught. We obviously think that the commitment is real and that the move will be made eventually as Rodgers announced on the Pat McAfee show earlier this week. Um, yeah, see, I think the dynasty market is kind of set in its ways in a lot of ways and also overreactionary. Now, I know that's an oxymoron in a lot of senses, but the perception around Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall and other of the offensive assets that are on the Jets that are obviously fairly highly touted assets on your dynasty rosters as well, they were already perceived to be solidified in their value, solidified in their sophomore season production. Yes, Brees Hall was coming in with a little bit of an injury discount on those dynasty markets, but still widely considered as the RB1 in dynasty um, under B. John Robinson, of course. So I guess the RB2 overall. Um, But the addition of Aaron Rodgers, I don't think, makes a massive difference for their evaluation jump. Garrett Wilson is still going to be valued as a top 12 wide receiver. Brees Hall is still going to be valued as the RB2 overall in Dynasty, regardless of the injury and regardless of the addition that Rodgers will bring to their production. Now, if you're looking to sell either of those assets with a increased boost because of the Aaron Rodgers news and there may be somebody that was not properly valuing them before now neither one of those in Wilson or Brees Hall are assets that I would recommend selling because I do think that their production their age definitely uh, coincide with their high evaluations but if you don't agree with that and you think that maybe what we saw from Garrett Wilson is a flash of his ceiling rather than a flash of his floor and same with Brees Hall and you're feeling doubtful after the injury, then this is certainly a great time to sell because the value insulation is absolutely close to production ceiling where Garrett Wilson probably won't have a top six, top five season in a second year, but he's being valued as a top eight dynasty wide receiver. And of course, Brees Hall in good health will finish as a RB one in points per game and definitely an RB one overall, but that good health is not confirmed until we see him on the field again. And and hopefully we see him at top speed. So I can understand how using this information for the purpose of a market shift um, and a trade-off entices managers, but it's certainly not something I would suggest doing. I think you should just ride whatever production Aaron Rodgers brings to a stacked offense into the sunset and be happy with your super young assets. And and potentially maybe they see some regression after Rodgers leaves. Um, But for me, 
it's certainly good news production wise. It doesn't affect the value as much as consensus is trying to swift or sway. Both of those guys are going to be ranked within the top 24 positional assets in a startup. They're both going to be off the board before the second round or before the third round swing, the end of the second round and third round turn. Um, Both of them are probably worth that value in career, career longevity as well. There is a major fallout, and that's because Aaron Rodgers brings his friend Alan Lazard with him. And I think that fallout is Elijah Moore. Elijah is somebody that they couldn't get rid of in the middle of the season because they have effectively tanked his value by not starting him in a position where he could succeed, not putting him on the field in a position where he could succeed. And then after he demanded a trade, um, kind of not necessarily suspended him, but sat him away from the team for a game. So... Now, with the free agency blooming and the wide receivers falling off the free agency market left and right, as we will get into in this later episode, Elijah Moore has a little bit of market value, at least much more than they had in midseason when he was a disgruntled employee. Elijah may be on the way out. I certainly would expect it to happen post-draft, where teams obviously... If they can't get the guy that they wanted on the board from a wide receiver perspective, Elijah could be a great fit still on a rookie contract, wouldn't cost as much as his rookie evaluation as far as a second round pick goes, definitely would be lower on the market, but I think the Jets would also be willing to accept some of that back. They have Corey Davis as a veteran producer. They're obviously going to bring Alan Lazard in and give him a ton of snaps, both for run blocking and familiarity with their hopefully new franchise quarterback. To me, that seems like Elijah Moore is the odd man out with Garrett Wilson obviously serving the number one role in a Devontae Adams-esque part as well, and Brees Hall taking a lion's share of any of the other rushing opportunities and passing opportunities for that matter as well as we saw his target share as a rookie was very high Brees Hall's was so Elijah Moore seems like the odd man out I think a change of scenery would be excellent for Moore I actually think that would be a gigantic spike in his value and it wouldn't necessarily even need to be a perceivably good landing spot it would just need to be a depth chart that is thin enough that Elijah would see the snaps that lead to the routes and targets that we saw towards the end of his rookie season. There's obviously a lot of volatile risk investing into Elijah Moore at this cost, at this juncture, but the cost rather is what is actually really enticing. I think the addition of Lazard, I think the rising health of Brees Hall, the assertion of Garrett Wilson as the wide receiver one in that offense, the addition of Aaron Rodgers is actually bad news for more on the jets, but really good news for more elsewhere. And, If I can get Elijah Moore on my rosters for a perceived third round rookie pick, maybe later, or one of those aging out veterans that are in arbitration value ranges with Elijah Moore, I think I'm going to do it. And part of that reason is because I do not believe his talent to be an arbitration. I think Elijah Moore is the real deal. I think he's better suited as a two um, rather than a one, although we saw him succeed very highly as a one in his rookie season. But a Number two with a 20% target share is certainly in his range of outcomes, and that would lead to great success and an obvious spike in overall value as far as the dynasty market is concerned. Another big fallout, obviously, in this movement, and and probably the biggest as we always speak through the eyes and the lenses of dynasty superflex, is Jordan Love. Managers have been holding on to Jordan Love or passing Jordan Love off and around waivers like a hot potato through their dynasty leagues for years, uh, three years now to be exact. And he finally gets his chance to start as a first round quarterback drafted by the Packers, one that obviously left Aaron Rodgers very disgruntled and inevitably 
So as he wasn't surrounded with the proper weapons or, or at least the weapons that he had hoped to see on that offense. And now he's in New York with some or potentially in New York. We have to keep allegedly. Um, but now he's in New York with some fantastic options that leaves Jordan Love in a position to succeed in his first year, I suppose, if you enjoy those weapons. But it's Romeo Dubs. It's Christian Watson. It's Aaron Jones. Yeah. It's not a great offense for Jordan Love to step in immediately and put up fantastic fantasy numbers. Obviously, serviceable QB2 should absolutely be in his range of outcomes. The position to succeed that I refer to is he's finally getting the opportunity to start. He has first-round capital invested in him. He is in a solidified system that LaFleur has obviously perfected with a much more talented or a much more seasoned quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. But Love has some good options. I do like Christian Watson. I think he's going to see some increased production and positive regression towards increased target shares and overall counting stats in his sophomore season. I think Romeo Dubs is an excellent slot and complementary option. Obviously, he loses out on a few big body targets that Alan Lazard could command, but it's not a huge hit as far as the offense is concerned. They retain Aaron Jones. They retain A.J. Dillon. Um, so it's very similar. Now they have some holes in the offensive line that could give Jordan Love some fits. And obviously two subpar wide receivers is not as good as multiple ones, but it's not the worst offense. That's for sure. And him in a 16 game season, 17 game season, rather. It's going to be very interesting to see. I think Jordan Love has already met his market value fairness, meaning what he is worth now is fair to trade him away for minimized risk and it's also fair to acquire him for a perceived uptick in production guys like Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins don't necessarily light up the trade markets but they certainly are very valuable for their for your rosters and superflex leagues putting up low-end QB1 high-end QB2 numbers consistently is something that's very important from that second quarterback position on those rosters if Jordan Love can meet that ceiling then absolutely he'd be worth his cost of acquisition which is around a second round draft pick currently Otherwise, he's also worth trading that away so that you don't have to uh, accure that risk and wait and see because he's not a great prospect and he doesn't he has the draft capital and the youth on his side. Yes, but he doesn't necessarily have a Kyle Shanahan esque system where a guy like Brock Purdy or a guy like you name it, could step in and succeed immediately right away. So there is going to be a bit of a learning curve. And if Jordan Love is a flash in the pan and maybe just a mediocre NFL player and a backup caliber quarterback, then we're going to find out very quickly. So I don't mind if managers want to trade off from that. Um, certainly something that I've been doing, but also been holding on to some shares as elite quarterbacks are incredibly hard to find. No, Jordan Love is not elite, but because of how difficult it is to get a hold of elite quarterbacks, it's also very difficult to get a hold of the ones that are on the precipice. Um, when managers miss out on elite quarterbacks in that tier one, they hold on to subpar quarterbacks to supplement that production as it is much needed. Speaking of subpar quarterbacks, I think that was a pretty good segue that Tim would be proud of. Jimmy G signed by the Raiders. This is a, I, I tiered these kind of free agency signings out, not necessarily in order, but kind of how they affect the dynasty market. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers was a huge impact on the market and, and lots of different fallouts from both the Packers and the Jets side. 
Jimmy Garoppolo to the Raiders, it also coincides with Darren Waller leaving the Raiders and, and heading to the Giants, which we'll get into a little bit later. But this doesn't move the needle much for me. I do think that Derek Carr was a bit of a better passer. I think Jimmy Garoppolo was much held up by that friendly system that we just spoke about with Kyle Shanahan that can essentially turn in any backup caliber quarterback into an NFL star, um, as we saw with some pretty impressive games from Brock Purdy and Jimmy Garoppolo in his own right during his tenure there. To Vegas for three years, $67.5 million salary. It's certainly a pretty chunk of change for Jimmy G, who is one of the higher paid backups in the NFL. He gets a starting job as the Raiders move on from Derek Carr, which was a pre-free agency opening move where Derek Carr goes to the New Orleans Saints. I didn't really feel like we needed to touch on that too much. Chris Olave's value up. That's about where that ends. It's not going to do much to move the needle for the Saints offense. But Jimmy Garoppolo coming into the Raiders in lieu of Derek Carr is... Probably a bit of a step back. Now, the lack of target competition with Darren Waller leaving would probably increase Devontae Adams' supposed incredible floor as it is, but he's entering those years of age and regression where you can get a little bit concerned about him being able to continue these runs and these incredible wide receiver one seasons getting into his 30 and 31-year-old season. I think that this means more for Josh Jacobs than anything. And he's the biggest impact on this offense. It means that him on his franchise tag, when the Raiders don't necessarily have a long-term risk, but are paying him enough money that they want to see immediate production. And obviously think that they can maybe make a wild card here. They're not re they're not rebuilding. They are retooling. Um, they're going to continue to run the piss out of that football. It's the Josh Jacobs show in Las Vegas. Jimmy Garoppolo is merely a serviette to be able to get Devontae Adams targets. Otherwise, it is again a 28 to 30 touch, 80% opportunity share for Josh Jacobs. The first season in which Josh McDaniels was the head coach for Las Vegas Raiders, we saw Josh Jacobs see the highest opportunity share of his career, which led to the best season of his career. I would expect that continue behind a very similar style offense with Jimmy Garoppolo under the helm. It is very much the Josh Jacobs show and a bit of regression for all the pass catchers, in my opinion. Another quick signing is Baker Mayfield from the Los Angeles Rams to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on a one-year, $8.5 million contract. That means bad news for anybody that was holding out hope for Kyle Trask. Um, Obviously, Losing out on Brady is going to affect Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. If you didn't already um, make those market adjustments once Brady retired, I don't know what to tell you. You should probably be concerned about Chris Godwin and Mike Evans as dynasty assets moving forward. Both of them getting up there in age. Neither one of them attached to a Hall of Fame quarterback anymore. That is clear. The best possible option for the Buccaneers at this point is that Kyle Trask is a hidden gem that they stole out of the second round and turns into the power-armed quarterback that led to Kyle Pitts becoming the greatest tight end breakout that we've ever seen at Florida where they had played together. Trask is not really anybody that you should be looking to invest into. His market cost has not risen to a point that he is worth a sell either. If you were holding on to him, it will likely be a quarterback battle. If you've been holding Trask for this time, keeping him on taxi squads or stashing him on um, deep rosters, continue to do so. Otherwise, I think Baker Mayfield does get a bit of a bump. This to me tells me that the 
Buccaneers are willing to at least let Baker battle for a starting position where if Stafford were to come back out of his, you know, injury, which all signs point to, he's coming back and he will train for OTAs and he'll be a part of the Rams offense and he'll be in training camp. Baker would have been a mere backup. There's no way he's beating out Stafford, even if he is technically more talented than a hobbled Stafford, which no, I don't agree, but the Rams certainly wouldn't, um, take Stafford's contract into consider or would take Stafford's contract in consideration. He would be the starter. So Mayfield to the Buccaneers, it's a much easier quarterback battle, both in talent from Matthew Stafford to Kyle Trask and in contract situation as Kyle Trask is on a rookie development contract. It's not really much of an investment that the Buccaneers have to worry about with Baker. So whoever they like better in the system is going to win that job. It's going to be terrible regression for the pass catchers. In my opinion, you might see funnel targets to the lower depth of target guy, which would be Chris Godwin. I think he would be the number one, over Mike Evans you might see Mike Evans come out and finally have his first below 1,000 yard season Rashad White in that perspective checkdowns are good and Rashad White is a phenomenal pass catcher he's alone in that backfield but I do think that Tampa Bay is going to continue to make moves that are going to push Rashad White's value down and I'm a big Rashad White fan but I don't think that backfield is done building as he really is the only viable back there Taylor Heineke leaves the Washington Commanders, goes to the Falcons on a two-year's deal. I don't think Falcons fans should be overly concerned about that. What they should be concerned about is the fallout that Desmond Ritter is likely going to be your starter over Taylor Heineke. And if not, Heineke's certainly a better passer than Desmond Ritter. Um, He should be able to get Arthur Smith to finally throw the ball more than 22 times a game. Hopefully with Taylor Heineke under center, he'll feel a little bit more confident in the passing attack. Anything more than 25 pass attempts per game is going to turn Drake London into an absolute superstar. He had the highest rookie target share of all time, third highest target share in the NFL. He's an absolute stud. Now, there is an argument to be made there that because the Falcons' pass attempts were so low, is Drake London really a superstar when the sample small is so sized? The answer to that is absolutely. He has all of the peripherals. He has checked every single box as far as prototype, size, speed, um, perceived athleticism, separation on reception, perception, shout out Matt Harmon, collegiate separation, collegiate stats, collegiate production, early declare, first round draft capital, highly invested, top 10 pick, all of it. It's all good with Drake London. And he didn't just earn those targets as a volition of you know, a a small sample size. He was absolutely the most talented player on that team as far as pass catching is concerned. And and, and on Falcons roster, no, that wasn't very difficult to accomplish. But he's going to be that player again in year two. He will undoubtedly be the number one target earner on that offense. It doesn't matter who they bring in because Drake London is... It's either you develop this kid or you miss out on one of the best talents and one of your highest assets, drafted assets that you've you know, selected in the last few years, it needs to be a funnel system to Drake London. They're going to force feed this kid targets. If if they want to win games and they want to try to win the AFC NFC South, which they seem like they do. And the NFC South is certainly wide open. The Falcons aren't necessarily tanking, which I don't know if I agree with. I would like to see them go full rebuild and, and just, let Desmond Ritter start and see if it lands them the one, one next year, which it probably would, but they're going to lean Taylor Heineke. Alternatively, Cleveland Browns got rid of Jacoby Brissett and the commanders are going to bring him on a one-year, $8 million contract to replace Taylor Heineke. Um, For me, that says really bad news for Sam Howell. And, and I don't actually think that Jacoby Brissett is more talented than Sam Howell necessarily, but I think that says that the commanders don't know if he is. The commanders have been back and forth on Sam Howell's 
place within their offense and his production or I guess lack thereof. They didn't really give him any time to start, but his potential production and potential role. Really, this is the question that the manager should be asking between these small free agency movements between the Browns and the commanders. They've gone back and forth. They've flip-flopped on their confidence and commitments. He's a fifth-round quarterback. He had some positive collegiate production in a historically competitive, but also defensively inept ACC conference. Like, let's just admit it. Clemson's had some good defenses over the years, but the ACC conference struggles defensively. He didn't really progress any of those years either, did Howell. He put up good numbers, not great ones, but good ones. And everyone expected Sam Howell to continue to progress. He had a 3,000-yard freshman season, but nothing really came after that. He never cracked four. He never cracked five. He never topped 40 touchdowns. He did become a much better rusher. Sam Howell did, but that's also because Javante Williams and Michael Carter left UNC, and they didn't have two NFL-caliber running backs. Look, investing heavily into a fifth-round pick on the whim that he may beat out a veteran quarterback in a battle where the commanders could possibly also trade up for a rookie in this draft and, and finally get themselves a true franchise quarterback or at least go through the process of trying to develop a franchise quarterback through the rookie draft, that's also a possibility as well. I don't really see Sam Howell being anything more in his career than a low-end QB2, even if he does get a starting position. People were very high on Howell coming into this rookie season. Um, they continue to be very high on Howell despite all of the red flags. And I think we should continue to wave those red flags vehemently until consensus and our friends and brothers finally stop falling for these traps. Fallout for Sam Howell. <laughs> Wide receiver news this offseason got pretty jumbled pretty quickly. There were uh, a lot of movements, um, but nobody major. I, I want to throw that out there that this was one of the weaker free agency classes for both wide receivers and running backs. Now a very exciting rookie draft class in both of those perspective positions, but wide receivers weren't as deep as, you know, we have seen in previous years and, and not as many exciting moves. Now, Jacoby Myers and Juju Smith Schuster both signed three year, $33 million contracts for the opposite teams. <laughs> Juju was offered that contract from the Patriots to leave the Chiefs. He accepted. Jacoby was not offered that contract from the Patriots. He was offered that contract from the Raiders. Obviously accepted. I find that to be a very interesting move. I think Jacoby Myers is definitely a better receiver than Juju Smith-Schuster is at this, their, this juncture in their careers. Pardon me. I think Jacoby Myers is a much better receiver than Juju at this juncture. But the Patriots certainly didn't. And they were willing to offer the exact same contract that Jacoby Myers would have accepted to stay there to a different receiver. Now, Juju is probably being propped up in his one year in Kansas City by the high value uh, targets that you are going to receive by a Patrick Mahomes, but he still has some juice left. There were some concussion concerns and a few low, lower body lingering injuries, but Juju still has some juice left. He can definitely perform. I think the winner of this trade is, or this move, as far as dynasty perspectives go, is Jacoby Myers. It's definitely a hit for Jacoby. He was the unquestioned wide receiver one in New England, was putting up above 20% target share. His touchdown numbers finally started to regress towards the norm in terms of his yards per route run and yard total, other counting stats, uh, target percentages, target share. 
route percentages. So the touchdowns we finally started to see come. But now for the first time in his career, Jacoby Myers is the unquestioned number two on the offense. There is no way he's going to surpass Devontae Adams for any reason other than injury. As much as I like Jacoby Myers, this is a gigantic hit for his prospects as a middling or low end wide receiver two that put up numbers well above his market consensus projections. This is also really bad for Juju going from Patrick Mahomes, where you couldn't crack a thousand yards in the season that Patrick Mahomes had more yards than anybody else in the history of the NFL to Mac Jones is bad news for Juju Smith-Schuster and all of his owners. There's no way that you can positively spin this market shift to be able to increase Juju's value in trade perspectives. So don't even try. It's bad news. And a team that is already absolutely loaded at the slot position. Like Juju has never really been able to win on the outside. And some of his best years, as big of a fan as as much as I've loved, had obviously come as the number two like it was ab was dominating those steelers offenses and juju could just feast on incompetent nickel corners while ab got got and dominated double teams moving to the patriots he's expected to be the number one now they gave him number one money what they were going to give their number one they may attack receiver in the draft i could absolutely see that but all receivers other than Quentin Johnson in the draft are also slot adjacent and, and slot producers. He's just on a crowded offense in a crowded system with many other slots and no true outside winner. So whatever receiver they may potentially bring in in the draft is only a detriment to Juju's targets. Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, Dalton Schultz, Devin Singletary is where we're going to kind of wrap up this tier. Robert Woods goes from Tennessee Titans to the Houston Texans, which means the Houston Texans then shipped Brandon Cooks to the Dallas Cowboys for a 2023 fifth. And then the Texans promptly signed Dalton Schultz from the Dallas Cowboys and Devin Singletary. The reason that I wanted to tie all of these together is it's obviously adjacent moves and adjacent impacts. I think Robert Woods is a serviceable veteran. He was a serviceable split wide receiver 1A, 1B when Cooper Cup was up and coming. Um, never really overtook that offense as the true one either and then was certainly snuffed out by Cooper Cup's meteoric rise um, during his final season before exiting to Tennessee from the Rams. Woods to Houston is good news knowing that Brandon Cooks is gone. And that was something that Themi, um, shout out to Themi, by the way. I'm, I'm 25 minutes in and I probably should have gotten to this sooner, but Themi has been keeping these free agency updates on brotofantasy.com throughout the entire process. As soon as these guys get signed or traded, he is in there putting the fantasy impacts, their contract implications, how they're going to affect the teams, which teams are affected, and, and who is uh, moving in what direction from these fallouts, whether it be up on the market or down. So shout out to him for having that year-to-year redraft perspective and, and doing all of that for, for us. Make sure you head over there, check that out, stay in tune with all of this. I'm just you know going through the motions and trying to give you the outer perspectives of the dynasty analysis on these things. And a lot of this is coming from Themi's help. So shout out to him. Robert Woods, definitely a serviceable veteran for the Texans. Now that Brandon Cooks is gone, he'll probably slot in as their number one 
receiver, Nico Collins. Uh, you really shouldn't have had any confidence in him to begin with. I don't think Nico is going to be an impact player at any point in his career. He certainly has not proven at any point in his career to be able to do be an impact player. Woods with a 21 to 24% target share could get up to that wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three, I would like to say, range. He's probably the most positive um asset for the whatever pass catcher the Texans decide to bring in at pick or at probably pick number 12 and pass thrower at pick number two. So he may be Woods may be snuffed out by the rise of their first round rookie wide receiver, which I do expect the Texans to attack, but he will have some serviceable weeks, especially to begin the season as that new rookie gets developed to the NFL. Brandon Cooks of the Cowboys, an excellent signing for that offense. It reduces Michael Gallup's opportunity share. It reduces Michael Gallup's dynasty value. It reduces Michael Gallup's future career outlook. He's not recovered from that ACL still. I mean, at least he wasn't during the 2022 slash 2023 season. He was struggling and laboring throughout every game. There were moments where you saw flashes of the old Michael Gallup, but his snap share was limited. Kept hearing throughout beats that it was going to increase. It didn't. His opportunity share didn't. He lost targets and snaps to Noah Brown. Now they bring in Brandon Cooks. I think Brandon Cooks is the obvious number two. Also, Dalton Schultz's vacated targets to cover. Um, He absolutely is the number two besides CeeDee Lamb. It's another excellent asset for Dak Prescott. And I think managers can still get a little bit of a discount here. Brandon Cooks is only 29 years old. He put up his sixth 1,000-yard season just this past year, and it was a season where he sat out games because he was disgruntled and and had some troubles with injuries as well. I think Brandon Cooks is still very serviceable. I think this move to Dallas is adjacent for his value, meaning people aren't really going to see much of a market impact um, moving upwards for Brandon Cooks because CeeDee Lamb is already there. So now he's leaving the Texans as the number one to a better offense sure but with less opportunities coming his way so market adjacent he may see a little bit of peak but not really there's some arbitration to be made here where you can probably trade off um equal level veterans that are not going to produce that brandon cook's level in that cowboys offense so he's somebody that i'm very much interested in on contending rosters rebuilding rosters if you go to buy veterans which is a viable strategy i'll throw this in there as we do this but If you're on a rebuilding roster and you're looking to acquire veterans, it better be for a quick flip. So as soon as that production hits a high enough value that it produces a market swing, you have to get rid of them. You can't keep holding for that stock to rise and rise and rise because it will teeter out and it will bottom out. Veterans are not insulated with the same um, value that rookies are. Um, They're much more volatile in the sense, and younger players, not just rookies, but veterans don't have that. They need to have the production to hold the value, whereas younger players, obviously, a lot of it is perception. Dalton Schultz and Devin Singletary, both of the Texans. This might actually be good news for Damian Pierce. (laughs) Like, he's not really capable of handling that 300-touch workload. I do think that absolutely Damian Pierce is still the number one running back in that offense. I don't think Singletary... um, overtakes him necessarily as the true RB1 in Singletary has kind of proven even in some productive years in Buffalo he's not really a workhorse running back now neither is Damian Pierce but committees are becoming commonplace in the NFL you're not going to see many 85 90% opportunity shares for running backs anymore and and you need committees um, to a certain extent to keep these legs fresh um, with these running backs guys like Damian Pierce who was 
on hot fire to start the season, but then you saw just started to wear and tear on him that 30 touch workload. It's, it's very hard to maintain putting yourself through that many car crashes in a weekend and expected to do it again at a high level. So I think this actually might be positive news. I'm still not interested in investing in Damian Pierce, uh, just in the sense that it's going to be a lot of probably touchdown reliant production. And I don't expect the Texans to be a super high scoring offense next year. Yes, rookie quarterback probably increases a bit of the value that their offense lacked in 2022, but it's not going to be a standout top 10 offense where those goal line touches from Damian Pierce would give way to a Jamal Williams-esque season where you could see him cross the end zone 15, 16, 17 times or James Conner in 2021, Jamal Williams in 2022, what have you, where that production is just so valuable to your fantasy rosters and your squads because it, although touchdowns are unpredictable, they are getting all of the touchdowns. So, you know, you can kind of limit some of that volatility knowing that I mean, just for Jamal Williams, for example, like as soon as Detroit got inside of the five yard line, DeAndre Swift out five yards in, let's get Jamal Williams touches. And it was one carry, two carries, three carries. All right, field goal. Like it was every single possession. Um, They just wanted to pound through that line and try and get Jamal Williams in the end zone. I expect a very similar uh, role for Damian Pierce, that Jamal Williams with Singletary kind of playing with change of pace. It's going to reduce some of his value. Damian Pierce probably should never have been valued as high as he was at any given point, even with the early production, obviously with his incredible first round rookie draft rise after free agency last season and and during the off season last season and his 2020 I'm worth a 2023 first value rise um, during season when he was putting up decent numbers through the first four weeks. They were all asinine. Damian Pierce is a late round rookie. He's a committee back throughout his collegiate career. He's a committee back in the NFL. He just didn't have a committee around him. Now he does have a committee around him and the Texans are probably going to utilize that committee to, to Damian Pierce's detriment. Um, at least as far as his value is concerned. Again, I do think that kind of means positive things for him being able to stay on the field and, and get a lot of value touches. Um, but those touches, as far as volume is concerned, will absolutely be reduced. Continuing on with some more veteran wide receiver acquisitions, the Saints restructured Michael Thomas, keep him there for one year, $10 million. I was very surprised at this deal. I actually thought Michael Thomas was absolutely going to be a cut candidate, especially with them having to get cap compliant uh, with the Derek Carr signing. Instead, they restructure a bunch of players. Michael Thomas being one of the more high profile ones takes a major reduction in pay. And something that that tells me, which I've said many times on the podcast before, and I've said it many times on social media is I was under the impression that Michael Thomas was never going to play another snap for the saints after his ankle injury. Now, what I didn't really consider is that no other team wanted him to play snaps for them either. So I think Michael Thomas and his agent went out and tried to find the best deal. Couldn't find it. Had to take a pay cut. Teams don't want to take the risk on a receiver that has been as injured as Michael Thomas has. Absolutely stud performer every single time he steps on the field. Nothing but the best receiver in the NFL every single time he's been healthy or amongst the best receivers in the NFL. Let's take a step back. Amongst the best receivers in the NFL every single time he's been healthy, but he has not been healthy. And you can say the ankle injury was X amount of time ago and he's recovered, but the ankle injury still exists. There's no recovering from before that point. And we have not seen him at wide receiver one overall levels 
since that point. You have to take that into consideration. Even in a full 17-game outlook where we don't like to predict injuries and obviously we want to see him on the field for every game and we're anticipating that he is healthy enough to do so come to the start of the season. Even with that said, you have to take into consideration of the risk that the Michael Thomas you we all knew and loved is not the Michael Thomas that is stepping onto the field anymore. So with that said, I think Chris Olave is unquestionably the wide receiver one in that offense. He will continue to be dominant. He had a thousand yard rookie season with missing time and will likely put up similar, if not better numbers in his sophomore year. He is going to outshine everybody on that offense, both from pass catchers, running backs, and quarterback perspectives. He's going to make Derek Carr look like the MVP Derek Carr of 2017. The last one that I'll get into, I guess, is uh, Adam Thielen heading to the Carolina Panthers, three years, 25 million. The reason that I wanted to get into this from a dynasty perspective is obviously Adam Thielen's the wide receiver one. As it stands right now, they are not going to enter the season, in my opinion, with Adam Thielen as their wide receiver one, even if that does mean a kind of unknown rookie in the second or third round that they force through development. If Thielen remains in that position where he is a top the depth chart, I'm not overly concerned. This is selling point for Adam Thielen. This is as good as it's ever going to get for managers to be able to get a return on Adam Thielen, where he is the unquestioned wide receiver one on top of the depth chart until the season starts. It's age with Thielen. It's a reduced in production. He was getting outproduced by KJ Osborne, man. Like Justin Jefferson, obviously you can't fault him be, being behind him, anybody, everybody's going to be behind Justin Jefferson, but falling behind KJ Osborne in the pecking order is certainly concerning for Adam Thielen at this age. Um, it's a longer deal than I thought he would get on the market. It's not an incredibly market shifting deal by any means. It's, it's a pretty standard veteran extension, but I don't think Thielen actually plays out this contract. I think Carolina might've been the only team offering him a contract at all considering what they just did to their depth chart trading dj Moore away for the first overall pick to the chicago bears Thielen's going to see some targets he's going to have some productive weeks but for me if i can get a third round i'm literally talking third if i can get in late second from a simple free agency acquisition by a team that is in the dumps when looking at their wide receiver depth chart, then I'm absolutely doing that for Adam Thielen. I don't really want him on my roster anymore. Moving into tight ends, Darren Waller, we already mentioned, obviously moving from the Raiders to the Giants, a third round pick, 100th overall of this year. I think that's a steal for the Giants. I do not think that Darren Waller has, is finished playing some of his best football. I do think he's going to step in there and can see an absolute monster share of targets similar to his you know, tight end one season that we saw just two years ago um a, a little bit of injury concerns sure they've been nagging they've been building up but it also a bad system a bad fit in las vegas during that final year with the josh mcdaniel offense it wasn't really going to lead to the most productive darren waller season i think this system is absolutely incredible for him brian dayball um new york giants with an improved Daniel Jones. Now I do think that Derek Carr, as Mike said on the previous podcast, is a bit of a better passer than Daniel Jones, but less targets to, as well. His target competition is very minimal. Is Darren Wallers in New York? He's going to be dealing with, as it stands right now, Darius Slayton, Wandale Robinson, 
Daniel Bellinger takes a major hit on the dynasty market as he was kind of one of those ascending sophomore tight ends at a very cheap cost that people get way too enamored with every single year and absolutely shouldn't when it comes to tight ends. Albert O, um, name drop there. But yeah, Darren Waller to the Giants. I love it. I think he can absolutely put up huge numbers. Cost of acquisition, if it still remains in that medial tight end one range around that tight end six tight end eight i'm absolutely willing to pay those prices for darren waller recently in a startup that i was doing um that had rookie draft picks allotted into the mock as well so i could choose you know one nine one ten one twelve um in its their respective spots i actually chose darren waller over the 111 rookie pick because i and this was before the acquisition because i do believe that darren waller still has top five tight end potential in his range of outcomes for multiple seasons and i think we're going to see some of his best football in new york paris campbell joins him had that one to throw in as well new york really trying to build up their receiver room um, as Darius Slayton and Wandale Robinson are the only two active and viable receivers really on that roster with Sterling Shepard um, dealing with so many injuries throughout his career and, and moving on. So Paris Campbell, interesting signing. Market's value stays similar. Um, one year prove a deal. If he can stay healthy, we've seen Paris Campbell produce. So that's good news for the Giants offense. I think it's definitely a an improved wide receiver room from what they had last year. Paris Campbell, Darius Slayton, Wandell Robinson, and, and Darren Waller is, is definitely an upgrade from their uh, 2022 receiver room, but it's it's not enough to move the needle as far as these big market swings are concerned. New England Patriots moved on from Jonu Smith, trading him to the Atlanta Falcons. If you're concerned, if Jonu Smith is what's concerning you about Kyle Pitts, you need to get off Kyle Pitts. You need to stop rostering him in general. Okay. That's not the concern. The concern is Arthur Smith. The concern is 22 pass attempts a game. The concern is not anyone being added. For one, John was a fullback. Two, Kyle Pitts is a slot receiver. Next. <laughs> they get rid of Janu. They bring in Mike Kosecki from the Miami Dolphins, but just a one-year $9 million deal, a prove-it deal for Mike G as he regressed majorly from his 100-plus target share to seeing below 60, 100-plus um, targets in 2021, below 60 in 2022. Just a horrendous season. He had one positive game that was the week before the trade deadline where Miami was trying to ship him off. They didn't pick up his fifth-year option, obviously had no interest in resigning. It's a weird landing spot. Again, Mike Kosecki's best years in Miami came when he was playing 85% of his snaps from the slot, leading the league in slot snaps for tight end. That was his best productive season, which was a low-end tight end one season in Miami. Moving to New England, Hunter Henry is already there to play inline tight end. Juju is already there to play in the slot. Tyquan Thornton is there as a flanker and you know upcoming sophomore that the Patriots kind of invested decent draft capital and they better get him developed quick. Kendrick Bourne plays through the slot. Like it's just, it's very crowded for Gusecki and for Juju, as we mentioned earlier. I don't love, I think Tua's way better than Mac Jones. So I don't love the regression of quarterback play either. Those target, the target value is going to be highly reduced uh, with Mac Jones, unless he makes an astronomical leap as a passer. Um, his depth, his overall scoring the the Patriots slow and anemic offense as well doesn't spell necessarily good news for Mike Gusecki and his value is taking a massive massive hit as it did throughout the entire 2022 season but Mike Gusecki is nearing 
worthless uh, as far as dynasty market is concerned. Like nearing, nearing, you couldn't get a third or fourth round pick in return. Um, and and if you could, I I wouldn't be mad at you wanting to trade that off. I think Mike Gusecki's best years of production were coming out of the slot. Um, which we're not going to see anymore, and especially in a New England offense, unless they start running that heavy two tight end set again, which you would think they might have tried with Janu, but never did. Rashad Penny from the Seahawks to the Philadelphia Eagles. The reason that I'm prefacing it with this one is because the Eagles walked and balked on Miles Sanders. They bring in Rashad Penny on a one-year, $1.35 million deal. That is very cheap. Rashad has been one of the best running backs in NFL history when he's healthy leading the entire historic pantheon of nfl running backs and yards per carry when healthy the issue is he hasn't been that's a glaring obvious issue this is a bit of a bump for rashad penny's value i'm looking to trade him away because to me this screams that the eagles are taking a running back early whether it's they take Bijan at 10 and just say to hell with adp we're taking the absolute best player in this draft regardless of position he's a slam dunk bulletproof generational running back potentially the last generational running back prospect that we will ever see as committees become more commonplace in the ncaa as well or they also have 31 and that is prime Jameer Gibbs range, which is Miles Sanders supercharged, Kenneth Gainwell supercharged, Jamal Charles-esque prospect. I absolutely love Jameer Gibbs. I think he's a 100% slam dunk fit for the Philadelphia Eagles offense and any other offense for that matter. Jameer Gibbs can play the change of pace. He can play the outside zone stretch run scheme. Um, for me, this signing screams that the Eagles are tackling and attacking the running back position during the NFL draft and what is a incredibly deep, incredibly talented, and incredibly accessible draft for them with all of the capital that they have from the Saints trade with Chris Olave last draft. Miles Sanders of the Carolina Panthers, unquestioned one. Deontay Foreman then moves on to the Bears. Um, he gets bumped up ahead of Khalil Herbert in the depth chart. I do think Khalil Herbert is losing value swiftly, and I think that they also are going to sign or rather draft a running back in this upcoming draft, probably in the later rounds, but or somebody that could be a bruising workhorse change of pace potential guy, um, which both of those things would take from Khalil Herbert because of how versatile he is. They don't necessarily give him the pass catching work, even though he's undersized and a good pass catcher, but he is a phenomenal pure runner. I'm getting off track. Miles Sanders to the Carolina Panthers. This is excellent for Miles Sanders. I think Carolina and this fit and the way that that offense has functioned with workhorse running backs at every step of the way for as long as you go back to Jonathan Stewart, this is great for Miles Sanders. He's done nothing but perform with increased opportunity share and has just not been given increased opportunity share. His best pass catching season was his rookie season and then continued regression every single year beyond that point. I think in Carolina with who we just mentioned that um, is in that wide receiver room with Adam Thielen topping Terrace Marshall and Shane Zilstra and names of, of that manner. I think Miles Sanders could see increased pass catching work. I think he's absolutely going to be utilized as their RB1. They may look to add a little bit of depth behind him in the upcoming draft as well, but they have Chuba Hubbard, who they've liked, who they have been developing, um, who can be a complimentary back, as we saw behind Deontay Foreman, and have some success. So 
For me, I love this landing spot for Miles Sanders. His value on the market hasn't shifted much either. Consensus is going to take a while to overlap and overlay these um, decisions in these free agency pushes. So if you can get ahead of these moves, hence the podcast, I would absolutely suggest doing so. I think Miles Sanders is well worth his cost of acquisition as a mid-second. I think he's going to produce close to RB1 numbers, probably... RB14, RB13 overall, maybe RB1 in points per game in the top 12 in points per game. I certainly think is in his range of outcomes as Carolina's lead back. Samaji P. Ryan to the Bengals, to me, is actually one of the most telling and important acquisitions of the entire free agency process, which is why I'm leaving it a little towards the last. We do have one more to cover after this, but this, to me, says everything negative about Javante Williams. For one, you could look at the money and say, oh, it's Matt. It's just 3.5, 3.75 million per year. Like it's per year, meaning there's multiple years. Meaning P. Ryan's not just there on a prove it, like we need a replacement. No, like he's there because Javante Williams had an absolutely catastrophic knee tear in week five. How managers just watched J.K. Dobbins perform in 2022 after having a catastrophic knee tear in the preseason of 2021 is how you should feel about Javante Williams. Javante had is essentially JK Dobbins of 2022, eight weeks later. He is not going to recover in time for the season. He's not going to recover in time to be productive before week eight. He may suit up during the 2023 season, but there is no point in time, much like we saw with J.K. Dobbins, with all due respect, that Javante Williams is going to be a important placeholder on your roster in 2023, which means no matter what happens beyond this point in Javante Williams' career, whether he returns to illustriousness and produces incredible numbers, he will never have market value that will reflect his production or his place on that offense. He could be the RB1. Doesn't matter. He's going to get surpassed and pushed down by four to five rookies that are entering this class. He's going to get surpassed and pushed down by multiple sophomores that are coming up. Kenneth Walker, Brees Hall, by players in his own class, a la Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, who are not only not injured, but are producing at a high rate. As much as we dislike Najee, absolutely, I would trade Javante Williams for Najee Harris straight up. 100%. I would not question that at all. You're asking, and you have to sit on Javante for an entire year of non-production, hoping that he might just be able to impact your roster in a positive way towards the end of the season. Then enter another draft class with positive rookies that are going to immediately have more value than 99.9% .9 of veteran running backs because of of youth alone doesn't matter where draft capital is doesn't matter about collegiate product youth alone especially for running backs will drive down value of veterans like you have never seen before people are more willing to be wrong on the youth movement than they are willing to hold on a running back past the age of 26 that is just a fact in dynasty javante williams by the time that he is healthy is going to be a 24 turning 25 year old running back that has never seen more than a 50 percent opportunity share at any given point during his career i'm talking college and high school as well. And then you add on the knee injury, all of the other moving assets that are happening in that time. It's been time to get on a, out on Javante forever. 
it's going to be really, really difficult to do so. My suggestion in all honesty in that is to wait for training camp hype. Wait for those positive cam makers videos of Javante running through a ladder quicker than he's supposed to be, you know, just to get everybody on the sidelines hyped up. Like, look, he's still got, wait for those videos, show those videos to your group chat and then get off the Javante Williams train. The best case scenario absolute best case scenario for Javante Williams is that in 2024 he has an RB1 overall season in points per game and will still not be valued as the RB1 overall that is the best case scenario it's absolutely devastating for managers that are invested heavily. I'm one of them. And for a prospect that we absolutely loved, who looked absolutely phenomenal between the tackles. And am I saying that Javante cannot make a recovery and become an NFL superstar? No, I'm not saying that at all. Do not get my words twisted. I'm saying his value will never reflect that. The last one that we're going to get into and kind of very similar but I don't need to get as, as hot and, and, and bothered about it is Jamal Williams signs with the new Orleans saints, which caused David Montgomery to flip and sign with the Detroit lions. That's major fallout for Deandre Swift. Any way that you cut it, David Montgomery is a more versatile, whether it is talented. Oh, and, and James Robinson goes to the Patriots on a two-year deal, which breaking news as it's just coming up on my feed, Damian Harris leaves the Patriots and signs with the Buffalo Bills. How interesting. Everything comes together for a reason. David Montgomery to the Lions. That's bad news for DeAndre Swift. Anyway, you cut it, he is a more versatile running back than Jamal Williams was. So if Jamal Williams can snuff out a lot of Swift's value just with inside the five-yard line opportunities and 17 touchdowns breaking Barry Saint, imagine if DeAndre Swift had a little bit of that touchdown production. Come on. But Jamal Williams breaking Barry Sanders' touchdown record I think that kind of tells you how they feel about DeAndre Swift in Detroit. As much as we as the dynasty community love him, and as much as his peripheral suggests that he can be a absolute stud PPR performer with his pass-catching metrics, the Lions don't seem to care. They're also bringing in a running back that can supplement Jamal Williams between the tackle production quite easily and is a positive pass-catcher, which is going to take away quite a few opportunities from Swift, I would imagine, if... It was a third down situation and five yards out, they're going to put DeAndre Swift in or a third and five and they'll put DeAndre Swift in. Well, if it's a third and four, they might keep Monty in, you know, just for that, that added, he can do it. He can maybe we run a draw, get that extra four, three yards. And he's also a, a good, a good enough pass catcher, obviously a positive pass blocker as well. So it's bad news for DeAndre Swift, in my opinion. I still want to see how that depth chart plays out, how things shake out in free agency. Hopefully we can see Swift maintain a decent enough pass catching share that he can kind of have a Tony Pollard esque role with Monty serving as the Ezekiel Elliott. Um, but Swift has never had that per touch magic that Tony Pollard has had. And again, the last one, Elliott cut from the Cowboys, Tony Pollard, RB one unquestioned. Speaking of per touch magic, Tony Pollard has been nothing but an RB one every single week. He's ever started an NFL game. He finishes in the top 12. The guy's an absolute stud. He's as good as it gets on a per touch basis. And what was so interesting and impressive and encouraging about the 2022, 2023 season was Tony Pollard saw 
a massive increase in opportunity share specifically from his previous seasons where he was utilized more as a handcuff. He was utilized as the RB one at many times. He was utilized as the RB one B beside Zeke in, in certain um, game scripts where they both had 20 touches, but Tony was getting his some in pass catching work, obviously some rush attempts and, and Zeke would get all of his in rush attempts. So we saw Tony Pollard put up an RB eight season in points per game with 17 points per game in PPR formats. I mean, what else do you want to see from a guy that was just handed the keys to one of the most high functioning offenses in the NFL that has done that has produced with an increased opportunity share has done nothing but be one of the absolute best and cheapest assets in all of fantasy. That said, get to the dark side with me. You should sell Tony Pollard. You should absolutely sell Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard is 25 years old. He has never had a lead back workload. Not that he couldn't handle one. Absolutely he could. He had $90 million in front of him. A thick $90 million that was slowing down and hard to get out of the way. But that was the biggest reason, right? Ezekiel was the biggest reason for Tony Pollard not being able to take over the role. It's, it has nothing to do with talent. That's not my point. Tony Pollard is playing on a franchise tag. The Dallas Cowboys are going to run that kid into the absolute ground. By the time he is done playing on that franchise tag, he'll be entering his year 27 season. How many productive 27-year-old running backs coming off of 300-plus seasons touch seasons do you know that aren't named Derrick Henry? And let me tell you something. I don't know if you've never seen a picture of the kid, but Tony Pollard, not built like Derrick Henry. Tony Pollard, built like DeAndre Swift. <laughs> Tony's going to have an RB1 season. He's going to get all of the touches. He's going to be absolutely incredibly productive. If you're contending, I understand wanting to hold. If you're a rebuilding roster, take the first and run. Take the multiple first and run because there's a lot of people that think Tony Pollard's worth that. He's undeniably worth a first, potentially early 2024. I'm sure you could get mid 2023. I would be fine with the Jameer Gibbs over Tony Pollard. Smash. I would absolutely do that. And, and Gibbs being valued at one seven after the Anthony Richards hypes, Anthony Richardson hype increases to put Bijan at one Richardson Stroud young in whatever order you want. And Jackson Smith and Jigba with Jameer Gibbs falling in that Jim, um, Jordan Addison and Quentin Johnson, take your pick rookie range. I'd absolutely trade that, um, for Tony Pollard in, or to get that in return for Tony Pollard. And that's what market consensus says he's worth right now. So a top 12, um, running back in market consensus value positionally. I think I think now's the time to cash out. I don't think that production as great as it may be is ever going to push that value higher because of the insulated rookie assets that I just mentioned in Bijan and, and Jameer Gibbs and, and some of the younger guys like Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker. I mean, I think it's absolutely incredible that Brees Hall tore his ACL and is the undeniable RB2 of Dynasty behind a guy that's not even in the NFL yet. That tells you something about the youth insulation of the running back position specifically. Jonathan Taylor was the RB1 overall at 22 years old. Has a down year, not even in the top four. That's That's the volatility that, that that position holds. So having Tony Pollard in the market consensus as an RB1 in Dynasty, I think is a little foolhardy. He is getting up there in age. The production will probably match that RB12, RB11 um, in points per game, potentially higher with a full workload. Sure. But the age, the current cost of acquisition, all of that is screaming sell to me. I would love to get 
market adjacent value and play the arbitration game with Tony Pollard at the, this point. And nobody's been a bigger Tony Pollard uh, stan and and championer than I have. He, he's an absolute stud. But when the market over adjusts for that production and allows you to elongate your winning window with similar production and higher valued players you do it a hundred out of a hundred times you do it out of a hundred a hundred times and then you can t- tear down as well with, with tony pollard um if if guys are you know like tony pollard would be valued slightly ahead of a guy like dalvin cook obviously not slight, slightly ahead quite further ahead and you are probably going to see yes dalvin's going to fall off the cliff as well, but you're going to see similar production numbers and you could add a first to, to that. Um, just, you know, it's that game of arbitration where you can add value, get the same production for the exact same window, which is likely, let's be honest, one year, one year of, of high end production for Tony Pollard before we really have to start being concerned about him not having the Cowboys extend him long-term and him not being in that positive age window where he is 26, 27 years old, you probably only have that one year. If you can tear down for a RB that finishes in that exact same window of production and is only one year and is valued way less, but you're adding the value on top of that, say it's a first round pick, multiple second round picks, that's a positive move for your roster. That's a positive move to maintain production, maintain competitiveness, and add an insane amount of value. And you know what? You know what else is really valuable? The Fantasy Football by Brodo app. Yeah, you got to go to the app store. You got to download the app. Everything that you heard me talk about today, all the stats, all the players, all the information, which a lot of it I pulled from Themi. Shout out to him again at Gridiron Greek. You can follow him. He's one of the better people in this industry, both for good times and good analysis. Um, BrotoFantasy.com, Patreon dot com slash broto fantasy broto fantasy.com the website for all of the articles um head over to patreon consider subscribing for as little as three dollars a month it's where you get access to me the brothers we can do roster rehab we can talk dynasty we can we talk basketball betting baseball mike's got his dugout chat he's starting to do um best ball drafts for baseball as well it's really just the best community in all of discord, all of the community, the Brodo fantasy discord, the best people I've, I've been around um, and some great advice, everything to help you win your championships. Obviously you get extra podcasts, access to Casanova's DFS optimizer. Um, Again, direct access to me for your dynasty rosters, trade advice, beat the bros leagues, um, special Patreon leagues with special prizes just an incredible community. So make sure you head over there, consider joining up for as little as $3 a month. I mean, you really can't miss. And as always, of course, the app is free. The app is free because the people at Patreon are so incredible and get all of the extras so that we can provide the extras and then provide the app for free for them as well. And the app's got everything. It's going to turn you into your own fantasy football expert stats, coaching, um, exclusive stats, player news, up to the minute news, articles, player cards, player comps, which Casanova is working tirelessly to get these player comps out for the 2023 rookie drafts. And the comps are honestly one of my favorite things. They're much more than just 
you know, this guy's the same height and weight and he, he played for the same school and got drafted in the first round. What we really are trying to do from every angle at Brodo Fantasy is turn you into your own fantasy football expert. It's how do these comparisons relate directly to fantasy football? A lot of players that look different and play differently can put up the same fantasy points. So we're trying to tell you what these players' potential fantasy relevance is and fantasy point production really is. So head over there, Google Play, Apple Store, wherever you get your apps, wherever you get your podcasts, where you can find me and listen to this. Always much love, much respect. Thanks for tuning in.